there's like this this huge chasm where people do believe that evangelization is the job of priests and nuns still. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another wonderful episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dave, too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Man, Bickle, how you doing? Dave? One. No! No! Yeah, no. yeah that's, 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 that's all right though. I love it. But it it is an accurate description guess, of you. It is an accurate description. Hey, you know, are you you're not I'm not gonna see you at the Bosco conference this week, huh? No, but you will see a coworker of mine. Well, I didn't realize the Bosco conference was so formal. Like you go get trained in certificates and stuff, right? Well, to be honest with you, I, I think I kind of snuck my way in. I I don't I don't go to the con I I'm speaking at the conference tomorrow and then I'll leave tomorrow. Right, right. But right. It, yeah, I think it is pretty serious. Like it's a formalized thing. Like if you go three years in a row, you get some kind of certification. Yeah, well, they have like PCLs. They have training in RCIA. They have tra- they have all these different you know youth ministry and blah blah blah. Right. It's pretty it's pretty rigorous. I like it. I like uh. I have a, my coworker was like, which one should I do? And I said, avoid Dave. Too hot to handle. Too cold to hold. Van Bickle <laughs> like the plague. Avoid I don't him, think like anyone's gonna come tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow I have. My first topic is the church, the guardian and protector of the deposit of faith. <laughs> That's the first one. Then the second one is the human body, God's masterpiece. Oh, um. both of those. I just they're just strange. I don't know where they. I I wish I could have been at the meeting where they decided that that would be. And I wish I really could have been at the meeting when they decided that those would be mine. <laughs> well, I mean, the human body one no. speaks for itself. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Check out the theology of this body. <laughs> yeah, but so I'm excited though. I I love Bosco because it's Catholics as nerdy as you and I. Yeah, I have always wanted to go to that, um, but just oh, never. Really? Yeah, I was never able to because in youth ministry, I was always doing summer trips when it would happen. Right, right. Yeah, it is. It's it. it last year was the first time I went as a speaker. And as soon as I finished as a speaker, I was like, "Oh, next year I'm going to sign up for this to actually go," but um, but I didn't I didn't get a chance to just because everything's crazy. But I'll be excited to be there tomorrow. I mean, so. I'm shocked they asked you back as a to speaker. be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if you're if you're uh, if you're at Bosco this week, you know that's awesome. I I I bet there's a uh, hell is just not happy about all the people who are going to be released from that conference this weekend. So this week. So oh man, that's awesome. And I just came back. We're recording this on Monday. I am. Oh, today is painful. I uh, spent the weekend doing a, my second of two Steubenville Youth Conferences. Where? This one was Steubenville East Ooh. in Lowell, Massachusetts. Aww. Yeah. That's awesome. It was good That's stuff. Awesome. And I got to do it with uh, a woman who is one of my, she's, I'm lucky to count her as a friend, but I also kind of uh, look to her as a bit of a hero, um, Sister Miriam James. Oh, man. Um, I love her. Yeah. And she was the host. So you could imagine, I mean, she, her demeanor is so entirely different from every, every other host. Because for most of us who do this stuff, we come from a youth ministry background. You guys are annoying. We're annoying, yes. And uh, we are, not the kids. Um, but the whole idea is like, we're going to win them with our humor and right. our silliness. Right, right. And then we'll give them the content. And she just walks out there and she's like, and she's she has a, an award-winning personality, right? She's great. She's so clear and concise, but you listen to her because, you know, this woman knows our Lord and is about to introduce them to her best friend. Right. Right. Like it is it is going to be deeply 
personal right. the whole thing and it was and the, it became like a, a <laughs> like a healing retreat for so many of these kids whoa that's awesome and uh it, it it really it really was a game changer for us as a team but also for um for the teenagers they just that was the main thing was like this one young man came up to her weeping which is a very rare thing to see a young man going up to a female speaker and being so overt with his tears or whatever. Yeah. I've had it a couple of times. You give a men talk, you hit, you know, you hit a certain right. um, point and it just, you know, whatever. But, and he was just there and he was like, I don't even know what the Lord's doing in my life, but please don't stop. Keep doing this. I need, like, I have something that the Lord is healing me. And this is a 17 year old talking, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's also the Lord is healing me right now. So don't stop. Please keep doing what you're doing. So um, it was a blast. It was a blast. I loved it. Loved it. She one time I at, at a, that meeting that you and I were at with a bunch of different Catholic evangelists. We uh, one of the girls was like, you know who Sister Miriam James is? Like I'm sure you've worked with her before. And I was like, no, but I desperately want to know her because she's like one of my favorite Catholic speakers. You know? Oh, absolutely. And she was like, oh, I'm sure she remembers who you are. I was like, no, there's no way she does. You know, there's no way. But um, she's like one of those people that remembers everybody. Yeah. Like it's kind of amazing, yeah, how she can do that. And she's also our rival and competition here with Ascension Press, as she yeah. is one of three women that does the Abiding Together podcast. So don't listen to her; yeah. listen to us. Uh, yeah, don't ever <laughs> after never, after we ever. just spend five minutes praising her. So no, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, so we got a good topic today, Dave. We got a good topic. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. In a way, you could say this topic is so broad that it covers. Kind of what we always talk about, but we want to get specific with the role of the laity in evangelization and evangelizing using both words and deeds. I think that's so important that we can often lose sight of. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that we, you know, in the church there was a long time where there was a split where they said like, oh, priests and nuns, that's that's whose holiness is for, right? There was like this terrible heresy really, you know, that people thought like real true saintliness was for priests and nuns. And no one's like brought it up yet, but even more than that, there's there's like this this huge chasm where people do believe that evangelization is the job of priests and nuns still. They really do still believe that in a very real way. And it like it's way worse even than the idea that holiness is just for them. Because like priests and nuns, they're they literally cannot do the evangelization that we do. And we have a duty to do that. Yeah. The problem is the priests and nuns are expecting us to do it. Yeah. And we think it's their job description. So it's not getting done. Right. Um, there's only so much evangelization you can do when you're standing in a pulpit. And that's the important thing about um, having lay witnesses who are also not church employees. Right. Right. We said this in our very first episode. You and I often people think, well, that's fine for Gomer and Dave right. to talk about evangelizing others. That's their job. Yeah, I can have people in a classroom, but people dismiss us 10 times more than they accept us because we, quote, work for right. the church. Y'all have access to people. You have a, an area and a level of credibility that we don't have because we don't work from the church, work for the church. Because you are out there, because you are doing, you know, you have an ordinary job and you might volunteer for your kids' faith formation or you're a catechist or, you know, you help with the liturgy or whatever. That is an area and a level of credibility that we don't have. Right, right. And, and it just, yeah, it's just clear that 
the fields are, are ripe for harvest, you know, and it's, it, it is so clear that your neighborhoods, even though you don't see them, like your neighborhoods are just desperately wanting this, even though they might not seem like it, that the people at your work are desperately wanting this. And they're just waiting really for these conversations. Now I'm not saying they're all going to go well, Lord knows they don't all go well, but but they are, trust me, that people are waiting for you in particular. And now most people who are listening to this are going to say, yeah, maybe that other person, but not me. No, I mean you in particular. People are wondering what it is about you. You know, what is the hope that is within you? What is that? Yeah. And part of the impetus for this episode today, um, I was reading two days ago a review of Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples from a, I believe he was a convert from Anglicanism, and he's a Catholic priest, or he himself was, uh, or he's just a British priest or something like that. But he wrote from this distinctly English perspective, criticizing Sherry's book, mostly about her use of the word personal and personal relationship in terms of how we have a relationship with God. And Where, where was this? It was just what online. Was I, was Google, I was trying to find her use of the Council of Trent and her quoting the Council of Trent to right, help more right. traditional Catholics understand what we mean by personal. And right. um, and I came across this article. I was like, oh, let me read this. And I read it, and I was like, oh. and he, it's a very charitable article. And the first half is him praising her and various things. But the second half is him being very critical. And I constantly run across this notion of personal as if it means Protestant uh, and not Catholic. Right. Like, and right. So I wanted to start off by a, a quote from Scott Hahn that I think helps us to put the personal aspect. When we say personal, we mean having to do everything, everything that has to do with being a human person. Person. Heart and soul, mind and body, the whole thing, um, uh, your finances, your relationships, all that makes you personal, a, a human person, a personal being is involved in your relationship with another personal being that is Jesus Christ. And so the quote that he has is, the church's greatest mystics are the men and women who fell most completely in love with God. And note how that love didn't lead them away from the church's sacramental and devotional life. And that's from Dr. Scott Hahn in Evangelizing Catholics, a wonderful book. But that understanding that having a personal relationship with Christ is the height of Christian discipleship known as mystical union or, or mystical marriage right. with God. And right. all the saints and mystics who have been declared doctors of the church, Teresa of Avila, Therese of Lisieux, John of the Cross, this is what they point to as the fullest flowering of Christian discipleship. So in its very beginnings, it is, it is the walking personally with Christ. And the closer and more intimate you are with our Lord, the more you love him and the more sin he purifies from you. I, I think also uh, one, one of the things that's good, you know, good to have this discussion about is the fact that probably what, what that priest is reading into is the idea of staying at like kind of the dating level, you know, whereas no, we're talking about even more than that, right? A personal relationship does, of G, with Jesus Christ doesn't just mean, uh, hey, I, I include him in my daily decisions. It means literally what you just said. Like the idea that we could become so united here on earth that it's like a mystical marriage, right? Uh, and that it's a that it's 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 a high calling, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a, it's not just something that we. It's not a platitude. This is a seriously high calling to union with Christ this side of the grave. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways we are afraid of 
we are deeply afraid of this type of surrender to our Lord. And because we're afraid of that, we create theologies that support that. Yeah. Uh, as one friend of mine said, uh, speaking about the seminary, one of the greatest seminaries in America, he said, I witness every day men who hide from the Holy Spirit behind their orthodoxy. You're going to get in trouble for that. You're going to get in trouble for I that know, quote but that you just said. It resonates with me. It does. <laughs> because I know how the pursuit of holiness requires me to surrender to confront parts of my own life that I don't want to look at right now. But and and that's only a movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And I if I don't want them put to death, I'm going to avoid him like death, right? right? And I'm going to hide from the Holy Spirit. But what I can do so easily is say, but I believe all the truths of the church. But personal, that personal interior conviction, that what St. Thomas Aquinas would call a integral conversion, this right. ongoing conversion of my heart, like God is constantly revealing newer places where he has yet to conquer in our own hearts, in our own lives, in, in the way we think about finances and stuff. And the way we think about our sexuality, the things that are so deeply personal that we often don't talk about them with our friends and our family, God still has to work in there. And I have often hid from God's sanctifying work because of my political agenda and worldview and, you know, all of this other stuff that we don't think belongs in the church. And then all of a sudden God sweeps in with the craziness of the Holy Spirit, that wild goose, and he starts stripping us away um, ideologies that we didn't even know, assumptions and presumptions that we didn't even consciously realize we had, that we were judging the gospel by instead of letting the gospel judge these things by. And so I think that is so powerful and so important. Yeah, I, I you know, it's, it's interesting when you're bringing this up, like when uh, I, I think about this often, there was a period when we first moved into the house we're moving out of now, we got like an offer for cable and we were like, oh, well, it's free. You know, we might as well take it or something like that. And we started watching Fox News and Fox News. It like right away got me caught up in the culture war. And I'm not this isn't a judgment on like Republicanism or conservatism or anything like that at all. But it got me like really caught up into the culture war. And it was kind of weird how I let that replace my like my daily discipleship in a certain sense, right? In, in a very real sense, we can let our different, like you said, ideologies, our different biases and represent our, our, our disciple or take the place of true discipleship. And I think that it's really easy now for Christians to get caught up in, you know, social action, political action, all of those kinds of things. When in all actuality, what it is, it's about the moment you have right now, getting the most love and surrendering the most fully you can to God, that one single moment and doing that over and over and over again, allowing him to trans to completely transform your heart and, and then kind of seeing who you are in the eyes of God before you decide who you are in the eyes of the world. Right. And it's from that place that we need to evangelize, right? So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, referencing Lumen Gentium, a document on the church from Vatican II, says that all baptized and confirmed Catholics are, quote, strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. By word and deed. I remember, Dave, you were telling me that one time you got in an argument with a nun because you were insisting, how dare you, that lay people need to evangelize with words. Do you remember that story? 
Yeah, but it's really none of your business. Oh, do, 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 do. Did you like that? I hated it. I hated every second <laughs> of it. I know. I hated Podcast it. Podcast is saying. over. I hate myself for saying it. No, yeah, that, that did happen. It was a... Uh, it was actually a, a faculty retreat. I did a lot of faculty retreats about five years ago around the country, and um, and I was saying to them, I was talk referencing this uh, this survey that came out, and it was they were asking how do you relate to Jesus Christ to Christian young people, and the number one thing that came out was a guru, right? That he was a guru, and you know, of course, that the problem there is that well, he's not just a guru; he's a savior. He does actual real things in our life and saves us from sin, something that no one else could do in all of history. Uh, guru also implies just one of many gurus, right? In that kind of way. And I was saying, like, you know, one of the issues is that we have allowed ourselves to believe that oh, our life reflects who Jesus is, and we don't need to speak about it anymore, and and we don't need to speak explicitly about it anymore. And the problem is, if you don't speak explicitly about it, then people are left to their own devices to decide who he is and what he can do for you. And when I said that, uh, this you know poor nun you know got up. It, the, the retreat literally ended early because she was so upset, and you know had her finger in my face and said, "I know what you're talking about. You're talking about that, you know, this crazy stuff, and you don't know what you're talking." I mean, it was just awful. This awful argument, <laughs> and her her basic her basic argument was that. Look, Jesus should we every person should be able to experience Jesus for who he is, right? For who he is to them. And they should be able to come up with their own right relationship of who he is and what he can do for them. And I said, "Well, sister, that's that's the problem, you know, that he came, right? As 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 God, God the Son, right? This is why we have the the change to the creed of the word consubstantial, like we know who Jesus is." And, and we're not supposed to, to form him. He's supposed to form us. And, you know, that idea is, is kind of revolutionary to a lot of people. Yeah. And just think about how, I mean, it's so sad, but it would be funny in actually thinking that someone who has given her entire life to follow Christ, to be a spouse of Christ and an eschatological sign of the world that is to come, right. a nun is angry that you would dare proclaim the Christ of history and of scripture to people. And this is the part where the notion of strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed, that phrase strictly obliged, imagine if Catholics evangelized and defended the faith in the same way that they, with the same sense of urgency that they do to go to Sunday mass and holy days of obligation. The church doesn't use that word obliged and strictly obliged very easily or often. Right. Right. And to do that within the context of spreading and defending the faith by word and deed, you know this is the real deal for us. And not right. just for priests and not just for nuns. So when you divorce holiness from the laity, you also divorce the notion of spreading the gospel from the laity. And so what we need to do is recover first that holiness, that personal relationship with Christ, and then have it lead to our job to spread and defend the faith. But uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles talks about, um, he's a famous American cardinal, he talks about that Catholics were attempting to be modest and self-critical, right? Be, not being triumphant. Well, we know all the truth, and we're the fullness of truth, therefore we're all going to go to heaven, you're all going to go to hell. He says that attempting to be not modest and self-critical in wake of the council, it often led us to fail to proclaim our faith with confidence. So we went from being triumphant to and, and engaging in apologetics 
They're just being apologetic. They're just being like, I'm sorry, I'm Catholic. Like, shh, we yeah. won't talk about it out loud. You know, you have people like John F. Kennedy falling all over themselves to let people know that, no, 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 no. The, my Catholicism comes second after my Americanism. Americanism. And, <laughs> and, right? And that is sad, but it's scandalous that it was accepted by so many Catholics as just, yeah, that's how we make our way in America. And you know what's sad about one of these, like one of the main points of all this is that, you know, that the quote, the the, the ridiculous quote that people attribute to St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel everywhere you go. And if you have to use words, okay, that when someone says that, it's almost a telltale sign that their life probably doesn't <laughs> preach the gospel. I, 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 I honestly, in all honesty, if I've ever used any kind of a quote like that, it's because I'm trying to like. Uh, justify you know what i'm saying and, and you know ju- or justify the way i'm living or something like that uh, but you know what's funny about that quote is it's a good quote it yeah, really yeah, is i guess preach yeah. the gospel at all times right. when necessary use words implying that sometimes words are necessary the real quote from saint francis was there is no use walking somewhere to preach unless our walking is also our preaching but the i mean like it's still when it's necessary use words but most people twist it to be like Oh, it's not necessary to use words. And that's right. when it's also like, and it's not really necessary for me to proclaim Christ with my life. Right. Yeah. And the all, and, you know, just this idea of like staying in pre evangelization. You know, I was at an evangelization conference one time and these, uh, these sisters who were missionaries in a, in a country that was hostile to the faith. I, I don't even remember what country it was. And it wasn't even an Islamist country. It was like, I was almost like a tribal religion. But they were basically saying that they were in the pre-evangelization stage. And I was like, oh, that's so exciting. When did you arrive? And they were like, 21 years ago. You know? And this idea that, like, look, we're just going to stay there and and really do social action, build trust for 21 years. Is that always necessary? Is that ever necessary? I guess it's a possibility that building trust over that time would take that long. But, man, I think I'd rather die a martyr's death, right, than, than just spend all those years just in the in the pre-evangelization stage i want to proclaim jesus christ and and proclaim his kingship over the world and that's what we're called to do we have to speak out and 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 this idea that we can do it just through our lives is it just falls short right and then you come back to saint paul woe to me if i do not preach the gospel 21 years i mean you're talking someone goes from you know being 20 years to 40 years i mean like their whole they have had a family now their kids you know might have kids in a tribal culture like and and then you've let an entire generation go by like right this is what this is what terrifies me when people substitute social action or works for faith or for the proclamation of faith which is itself a work right like substituting social action Social action is excellent when it accompanies the proclamation. In fact, social action paves the way for the proclamation. But people need to know, Mother Teresa was not shy in telling people why she was doing and for whom she was serving the poor. She served the poor because she saw Christ, and she shared with them Christ. And the, you know the idea the 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 other thing is in America we have to. I mean, I hate the fact that I even have to make this clarification, but. Social action in America takes two forms, right? It it's hands on, and then it's just with our money, right? Yeah. And and the problem is like we have to be, we have to encounter each other. We have to. So like it, in the parishes that I work with, 
Like they all have, they're, they're, they're wealthy. These are wealthy people and they're blessed by God and they carry out a lot of charitable works. And so over the next four years, what we're going to try and do is, is say, yeah, okay, maybe one year you take the present off of the tree and you bring the toy back for the child in need. But what, what needs to be the next step is you need to encounter the child. Right, we need to encounter people and actually give hands-on charity by loving them, by looking them in the eye, by hugging them, and by sharing life with them, not just by opening up our wallets. Not that that's not a noble thing to do; it is. But we have to encounter, we have to encounter Christ and others. And and trust me, trust me when I say this: that when you encounter the poor. You will, they will encounter your poverty in an even greater way. That's every single time that I have had an experience to encounter the poor. It's like their poverty encounters my poverty, and and Jesus is there, you know. And it's it's a beautiful thing. It's it's where the change comes. Faith is strengthened when it is given to others. That's Saint Pope John Paul, Redemptoris Missio. Faith is strengthened when it's given to others, and I think one of the reasons for our poverty and weakness of faith is because we're not used to giving it to others. I don't think it's coincidental that the faith in Europe was strong when every new nation would send forth its missionaries to evangelize for the next century, the next nations, right? right. So you convert right. Ireland, Ireland converts Scandinavia, Scandinavia, right. Scandinavia goes, I mean, it's like on and on and on, and they just keep growing and growing and growing. And then when everyone is Christian, and then it's assumed and it's presupposed, and it's, oh, of course you're a Christian. You're from Texas, right? Someone said that right, to me. Right. Of course I'm from a Christian. I'm from Texas. Um, <laughs> once it's assumed and it stops being an act of faith, a virtue whereby I live and reorder my whole life, then, and it's not given away. You just assume that everyone else is. It fails. It falters. And it gets right. weak. And so um, I, I turn again to the words. Um, the Second Vatican Council had... One document called the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, known as Lumen Gentium. Excellent. has a whole section on the laity, and within that it has a universal call to holiness, which we started talking about. Everybody should read it. Everybody Everybody should should. read it. That's the document of our time, really. Yes, exactly. And then it follows by the decree on the apostolate of the laity. And it says, and this is a beautiful quote, I think it's from maybe paragraph 6, a true apostle looks for opportunities to announce Christ by words addressed to non-believers with a view of leading them to faith, right? So think about that. If you're an apostle, if you're truly an apostle, you're on the lookout to do yeah. this. And it's not, right. it's not, um, sometimes people email us and they say like, give us your tips for like opening conversations or steering conversations. And then part right. of the thing of this podcast is to remind people that the best way to lead someone to Christ is through a relationship with them that is ongoing. You're going to not treat them like uh, just simple numbers project. and projects. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you're truly going to look for their good and to be a blessing in their life and to show them how Christ is the ultimate blessing in their life. But honestly, like if you love Christ and you love that other person, you almost can't help but look for these opportunities. And right. I think part of part of the reason why we started off talking about a personal relationship is because sometimes I think that maybe if we're coming up with tips and tricks so much, it's because we don't deeply love Christ or our neighbor to give them Jesus and to say those words and to be the one. I mean, just think about like a 
middle school boy going up to a middle school girl and asking her face to face to dance. It is awkward. She might reject, right? And so you fumble along and you want the perfect thing to say, but the the true grace is in the confrontation, is in the doing, is in embracing right. the fear right. and the awkwardness. Right. And faith without works is dead. So, yeah. you know, faith is strengthened when it's given to others. It can't be given to others if you and I are hiding behind. Just like I said earlier, people hide behind the Holy Spirit with orthodoxy. People can hide from the Holy Spirit with works of, of mercy. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you can hide yeah. a myriad of ways. I th- I think also not just what you, not just this idea like, well, do you really have the personal relationship with Jesus if you're justifying not sharing him? But also just this idea like, has Jesus changed you? You know, I, I recently was in a conversation where someone was saying that, you know, they had read like some conversion stories and how they felt really uncomfortable with it because they didn't have like a moment of conversion. And I said, well, you know, really, that's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is, have you allowed Jesus Christ to change your life? Because that's something you can't deny, right? Like, we're not allowed to stay the same person that we are. Yeah, We must change, right? Because Christ is... He's hey, he is the sunny day at the beach and he's wonderful and beautiful and it's fun and it's great and he's going to give you those times, but he's also the consuming fire. And and the and you can you can have that day at the beach and the second you get a sunburn you can say I'm stepping back. Or you can embrace. You know, you can go in and say, "Yeah, burn me. Burn everything that's that's not of you." And and that's the change that we're looking for and that's the change that's non-negotiable, you know. Maybe you didn't have the one moment of conversion where it was crazy and intense and emotional, but you must, you must change because God is a consuming fire. And uh, Pope Benedict, I think, nailed it so beautifully. Um, in 2009, he gave this address where he said uh, about his own papacy, what, what is my role? He said, leading men and women to God, to the God who speaks in the Bible. This is the supreme and fundamental priority of the church and of the successor of Peter at the present time. And you hear those words, leading men and women to God, to the God who speaks in the Bible. This is the supreme and fundamental priority of the church. That is direct opposition to those who think that we can make Christ over in our own image and likeness. This is a direct opposition to those who think it's our church to do with whatever we want. Christ said, I will build my church leading men to the God who speaks in the Bible. See, the Pope added that phrase very intentionally, who speaks in the Bible. He's not hiding from what you just pointed out, the the sunny day at the beach and the consuming fire, right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. St. John, the beloved disciple who reclined his head upon the breast of Christ, was also the one who fell down as one dead when he beheld his glory in the book of Revelation. We cannot lose sight of both the transcendence and the imminence of the God who loves us, right? And so our task is to lead men and women to this God. And that's our fundamental priority. And yet so often we stop in that strict obligation. We just, we just pass it along. And so I think many of us need to recover that first love, right? Just like in the book of Revelation, this one thing I have against you, you have forgotten me, right. your first love. Like spend time, we need to recover that. But once we feel good in that, we need to say, okay, how do I love my neighbor with the love of Jesus Christ? And, and I think, you know, lo- looking, at, looking at your relationships now, 
and looking at the reasons that we haven't maybe explicitly told people about Jesus, it can act as kind of an examination of conscience. It happens to me. It, I mean, don't don't think that we're like past this or anything. Yeah, absolutely. there are many different situations where I feel like, why didn't I share that? You know, why didn't I share with that person, or why did I avoid that conversation? And and again, I, I take it as kind of an examination of conscience. What's what is lacking in my relationship with God, and how do I need to grow and allow Him to change me, mold me, melt me? You know, to 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 make sure that I'm a fitting instrument of His, and that I'm not just allowing him to be part of my life. Oh, that is awesome. Um, So what we're going to do right now is take a brief break, let you hear from the fine folks at Ascension Press. I want to encourage you, uh, if you are listening to us in your phone's podcast app, whether it's an Apple podcast app or Google Play or whatever, go in and rate our show. Give us five stars if you think that's what we deserve, because we do. Uh, Give us five stars and write a review that would make our mommies proud of us, right? And because this helps people find the show and it helps us beat Sister Miriam in this <laughs> fake competition I have in my head. Okay. That's what yeah, we want. So right. we're gonna we're gonna take a little break. You can email us. So that she'll crush us like a bug. <laughs> yeah, she will. Oh, those boys, I love them so much. However, this is not even a competition. Um it's, it's over. over. You're dead to me. Um <laughs> No, so email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We want to hear your glory stories, your conversion stories. We want to hear this. We got a wonderful email from a priest who reached out and just said, hey, here's my homily that I'm giving for a funeral. Can you give me, just look it over, and if you have enough time, give me a couple tips or some advice on how you would weave the kerygma gently in a funeral homily. Right, how awesome is that? So Yeah, we love it. Priests and deacons who have been writing in lately, thank you for trusting us with these kind of questions. These are awesome. This is the type of conversation that makes my heart happy that we are having. So, uh, again, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. And we're back after the break to Every Knee Shall Bow. I hope your favorite Catholic evangelization podcast, uh, I know it's my favorite Catholic evangelization podcast, you know, each week we give you our five practical takeaways, and we do hear from a lot of people. I, I there, There's one guy who's emailed me three times, and he said, 
that he's he added up all the practical takeaways, which I don't remember how many it is, but it, he had only not done like seven of them. Oh, that is awesome. I want to have that guy in the like show. It's, I want him on yeah, I know, the show. I, know. I literally wrote back and said, we need to have you on so <laughs> we can hear some of your stories. But, uh, but I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's really great. And again, each each week we're going to give you these. These are five super practical things. Yeah. If, if you do nothing else this week, right, just to get you involved in evangelization, because as I always go back to my to this quote, one of my favorite quotes, Growth and discipleship depends on premature deployment. So you might not be ready to do these practical tips, but they get you in the fray, and that's important, okay? Yeah, and if you go over to Ascension Press and you go to their audio podcast area, I think it's media.ascensionpress.com, um, they actually have, for every niche shall bow, they have our um, five takeaways, every, and it's updated as a PDF every single week. That's awesome. And they have it all right there. Boom, right on the homepage. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, number one here. Let's start out. Uh, number one, we, going back, back to the basics. We have to review every so often. I want you to go back to the kerygma, and I want you to take out a, a blank sheet of paper and make sure you remember the kerygma, the steps to the kerygma, okay? Uh, remember, just write down, you know, the different steps of the basic gospel message, uh, what you need if you had an elevator speech evangelization situation, uh, because the kerygma is the basis that we build on all of this stuff. So just remember, go back and and try and remember uh, the basic steps of the kerygma, and then take a look at uh, at our at the podcast website, and you'll be able to make sure you got them all there. Uh, what I want you to do right now, when you're done listening to this podcast, okay, this is it, people. I want you to keep your phone, your cell phone information device. And I want you to text a family member and tell them that you love them and that you're praying for them. And that's it. No strings attached. Nothing else. No funny emojis. Just tell them I love you and I'm praying for you. Yikes. I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous about that. All right. Number three. Okay. I want you to take out your Bible, blow the dust off. Hopefully not. But take out your Bible. Turn to the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse of John. Uh, Gomer mentioned it during the episode, and I was thinking about these, the, the letter to the seven churches, right? It starts out with the letter to the seven churches, and I want you to just prayerfully pick one a day for the next week and prayerfully go through uh, those those letters, you know, the letter to the seven churches, and read through them. And what you're going to do is you're just you're going to see yourself you're going to see our church you're going to see our your parish you're going to see our broken church in a lot of these letters and just pray through them just meditate on them take them uh take them to your prayer and really kind of bathe yourself in the letter to the seven churches number 4 number 4 so as we were talking about the union of faith and works and social action and orthodoxy and all that stuff try to find time to head to a food pantry or a soup kitchen this week next week Try to look into it. This week, look into it and see when you can go. A friend of mine said that he took his whole family down to Houston, and they served for about three or four hours. All of his kids, he's got, uh, I think, five kids, and they all went down and served at a soup kitchen together. And if you want bonus points, right, because we all know we're keeping score here. Yep, um, I am. A few, <laughs> a few uh, weeks ago, Dave asked you to write your own tract, like to write one of those tracts and hand them out or whatever. Maybe, maybe take one that you've written or take uh, order a bunch of Jeff Cavins's um, Activated Disciple. Take the Kerygma sheets and pass those out. Or find one person to share your story of conversion with. Awesome. All right, number five, the final one. 
Uh, if you're on social media, here's what I want you to do. Remember, remember the story of the man born blind. He said, this I know that I once was blind and now I see. I once was blind and now I see. I want you to make a similar statement. I want you to just say this. I want you to pray about what your life was like before you met the Lord, before you became a, a serious disciple of the Lord, started following Jesus. And, and I want you to make a public statement that you were this way, and then you met the Lord, and then you started following Jesus, and then you took your faith seriously. One of those statements. And now you're this way. Just give give a testimony. That's what I want you to do. Kind of give a, a Hallel statement here. Hallelujah, this is what God has done in my life. And just make that statement. I once was like this, now I am like this. And give the glory to the Lord. It's it's A lot of you are going to feel like, oh, I, I don't want to take the glory for myself, or I feel uncomfortable doing this. This is an assignment. Try Try to just do it once and give the glory to the Lord because he wants to change all of us and people need to know that it's possible. That is funny because I would be more scared about doing number five than texting a family member number two <laughs> because of all the comments yeah, you're well, going to get. You make it say, oh, oh yeah, you yeah, think you're totally. so fancy. Yeah. But Jesus yeah, right. says, well, I saw you do this before. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus says, yeah. you know, so let your good works uh, be seen by others that they may praise your Father who's in heaven. So, you give the glory to Jesus, right, in your statement, but make a bold statement. I'm going to start thinking about it on Facebook. I, you know, I'm just done with Exodus 90 now, so now I can actually hop on social media. I feel good about my life choices. Nice. So there you go. I'm going to do nice. it. Okay. Woo! So that's been our Take Fives today. We are focusing on the legacy's role in the church when it comes to explicit word and deed evangelization. You know, you've heard it here, you know so much that the church needs your voice today. Priests can't go to your work, nuns can't go into your neighborhoods for the most part, and so it is us that carries the gospel into our homes and works and schools and public places. It's our turn to live the gospel and to preach it. Okay, brothers and sisters, so email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com and go and live the good news. Did I just end mass? I sounded like a deacon who just ended mass. Go make a difference. <laughs> oh, how dare you. How dare you. All right, God bless y'all. <laughs>